I just want to share something. I talked with a pastor or at a church this past Sunday, and we went to this church, and it's obvious Tori and I worship. You know, it's just a part of our life. So we went to this church service, and um, we worshiped. And then the majority of everybody who typically went and worshiped or went and worship, entered into worship. And um, a guy came up who was, I guess he was a person that was doing the announcements. And he said, I know you guys may not be typically used to the move of the Spirit like this, um, but we're just going to allow the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God to have control. And right after he said that, he said, we're just, now I want you guys to sit down because we're about to get the word. And, um, it was cool. It was a great experience. And after service, um, Tori and I had the opportunity to pray for people. So a lady ran up to Tori and asked for Tori to pray for her knee, and the lady's knee got healed. And I prayed for a guy who hurt his foot really bad. And um, he, was, he walked in on a cane, and he left walking out normal. So um, it was really awesome. But as I started talking to these guys, the guy that I prayed for, and I said, See, when God's presence, okay, I said it kind of like this. When you're walking out your life with God or when you first start your journey with God, you have to cultivate an atmosphere or a lifestyle of praise and worship. So until you cultivate a lifestyle of praise and worship, you're not a, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this very lightly, you're not a carrier of the presence. Okay? Because you have Christ in you, yes, you're a carrier of Christ. But do you, do you carry the presence of heaven with you? Okay, so I started talking to him, and I said, the thing is, when we praise God, he enthrones the praises of his people. So as we are praising God, we are lifting him high, truly giving him rulership and reign over our lives. And I started talking, and I started just telling him that when we're able to do that, we can really see a lot of things change in our life. And, like, we can pray for people, people can get healed and all these different things. But then as I started talking, the Lord started revealing something to me. Worship is a breath exchange, and this is the whole point of why I kind of talked about this. Worship, praise and worship is a breath exchange. So as you open up your mouth and praise God, there's breath leaving your, leaving your temple. Have you noticed the harder you sing, the harder it is to breathe? It's like you're exercising or it's like you're, so it's like you can't catch breath, but every breath you take in is the spirit of God coming in. So it's really a breath exchange, especially when you get into the atmosphere where, where the presence is here. So the breath that you're taking is, is the breath of life. You've already received it through regeneration. But there's, there's always an exchange with God. There's a breath of life that comes into you that increases your power. And God, it increases your love. It increases revelation because it's the spirit of God. And everything that God is, is, is attached to himself or it's attracted to himself. So I kind of want to say that because... When you have opportunity, every moment's an opportunity to really praise, but I'm talking about the moment where you get to sing praises to God and you get to worship God. You're actually exchanging your life, your breath on the inside of you for his breath. And think about that. How powerful are we where we can just walk into a place and the spirit of worship will break out? Or you walk into a place and they throng you for healing. Or they throng you because the love that's on your life. That's all cultivated through a relationship with Christ. In that message, it was talked about how 
how do we trust God or why we must trust God or just to trust God? And this is what I really love about our ministry here is because, and Todd, he's the first one to drop this nugget on me. Church does a really good job of telling you how to be. They do a really good job. And that's not bad because we need to know how we're supposed to represent Christ. But not necessarily are they doing the right job or a great job of telling you a how to be how that way. You get what I'm saying? They're not really giving you good instruction on how to become what you're supposed to be, which is glorious sons of God. And that's what I love about this place. We really get instruction, really get taught about how to become who we are always intended to be. But it's only in, in how, do, how do you trust God? That's a real question. How do you trust God? The word says to trust him, but how do you trust God? Yes, we trust by faith. We trust because the word says that. And his word is true. It's, it's, it's not false. It's, it's real. But how do you trust God? Hmm? Okay, experience is one. Did anybody else? This is how you trust, right? It's through relationship. If I don't spend any time with Tori, but I just heard about how she is, right? I have a, a secondhand belief of who she is or why I would trust her. But through time spent, I can learn to trust her. That's how you learn to trust God. But how do we spend time with God? Because they tell you to spend time with God, right? We, we were told to spend time with God. How do we spend time with God? It's through reading his word, through meditating on his word, through prayer, through worship, through praise, through giving, through loving unconditionally. That's how we commune with God. So think about that. Think about that. We're called to be the glorious sons of God. When we step into a building, we're making a declaration. And what declaration are we making? Are we making a declaration that I'm going to worship the king? That I'm going to worship God the Father as if this was my last day and I'm about to go meet him? I'm telling you, if you guys were about to get to it, like if you were about to pass away and you knew it and you knew you were going to see God, you'd probably be just, you know, shouting and rejoicing. That's what I, that's what I, that's what I kind of, I feel like that, you know, in worship where it's like I'm meeting God. I'm meeting God. I also said this point, I was talking to a youth pastor and I was telling him, I said, hey, man, we need to unify Savannah because we have all these different beliefs. We have all these different uh, traditions and we just all need to come together and get back to the basic point of worshiping Jesus and loving Jesus. And I said, can you imagine what would happen if you got all the youth in Savannah to get to one place and just worship God? Can you imagine what would happen? And then I started telling you, you know, the angels go before his throne in the book of Revelations, all of eternity, going to pass his throne saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Carrie is not my revelation. I, got it from, I took it from Carrie. I don't know who Carrie got it from. Maybe he got it from God. But he said, why, aren't they, why, why don't they get tired of going past the throne saying holy? Why? Why? Can you imagine walking past the building every day? or walking past a statue, walking past something every day, and you, you just get used to looking at it, right? It becomes nothing. But then Carrie said, every time, and I, I know this is revelation because God is multifaceted, but this is how I got it from with that first thought. Every time they pass him, they see a new facet. They see something new about him that causes them to say holy. Now listen to this. If God is holy and every time we pass him, what, could you imagine what God would do? With all, just basically, let's just say the whole body of Christ in Savannah came and worshiped God with no, like, no traditional separation and just worshiped God. And every time we went past him, he showed us a new, a new, a new hymn, something we've never seen before. And all we could just say is holy. 
every time he revealed himself, every time we passed by him in worship. That's where we really want to get to the place that where every time I, I engage in an intimate relationship with God, he's showing me something new. And I'm, I just have to say, Lord, you're holy. Have you noticed every time there's a song that talks about how holy God is, your inside starts to burn? The inside that's burning you is eternity burning. But it's also the spirit of God connecting with the truth of his holiness. And there's nothing you can control. So I wanted to share that because I really want to encourage everybody to enter in. I feel like the Lord wants to give me a message called enter in. Because all we have to do is really just enter in. Lord, receive me. You can have me. Take me. I want to enter into your presence. I want to enter into your life. And in that entering in, you're going to change and transform me. And I'll no longer look as, if I, as I used to look. Or I, never, I no longer see myself the way I used to see myself. And um, I think that's beautiful. How many people, when they first came to Christ, had the idea that I'm going to have to change my whole life. I can't do the things I used to do. I can't hang out with the same people. I can't hang out with my friends can't party, drink. Some people think like that. That's, you know, the, the typical thing is that Christians are like, um, I, for better or less words, nuns. They can't do nothing. They have to live these lives where they can't engage with normal people or, in a sense, non-Christians. And the Lord revealed this to me that we have a life before Christ. You know that, right? So we're separated from God out of birth. So we have a life before Christ. We have a life before Christ. And then the moment we meet Christ and we give our life to Christ, there's an exchange. We, we, we give our life, we take his life. So everything that we believed, everything we experienced has shaped who we are. Yeah. It's shaped who we are. And we're afraid to give those things up. But the, the life that's in Christ, the moment you meet him, you're now essentially a babe. And you have this whole new life. And every day, every year, every, every moment of your life is finding out who you really are. You, and if you, you'll never take those steps of, of movement sometimes because you're afraid that I have to give something up that I love. But essentially, if you give it up, you'll find the things that you truly love. The word says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you desires of your heart. But in the Amplified, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires and the secret petitions of your heart. There are things in God, in us, that we don't even know that we desire. And we'll never enter in until the desires until we leave the past behind. And I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a testimony because the things I used to love, I no longer love. And I found a new love, which is loving people. I've always loved that, but there's it's something else. It's ministering his word. It's encouraging people. But it's with God. It's not out of my own strength. Trust me. It can wear you down. A life, quote unquote, in Christ. But God is, he's greater than every bit of everything that you've ever experienced before. So think about that. I haven't truly decided to change because I'm afraid to leave things behind. But the things that are behind it, it never really even associated with you. Because your life is in Christ. And you never know who you are until you walk out that journey. And so you got to think about it from the moment you meet Jesus, the moment you give your life, you're growing and knowing who I'm becoming. So until the day you die, you're going to learn something new about yourself. And every bit of who you are is in Jesus. Every bit of who you are is in God. So outside of God, those things are not you. Praise the Lord. I want to share that because worship is so important.
And some of us don't want to shout. <laughs> Shoot. You think about what God, I know, I know how God's transformed me. And I like, talk, I like saying it this way, I was wicked. My soul was wicked. That's, that's my, see, I got my, my little brother here, DJ, and I got one of my other brothers, Mark, here. And these guys saw me when my soul was wicked. They could attest to how wicked my soul was. You cannot change yourself in your own strength. You know that, right? You can exercise discipline. But it's truly the spirit of God that changes you. It's truly the spirit of God. Hey, Mindy. It's truly the spirit of God that changes you. And when you make a change without the spirit of God, I'm sorry to break it to you, but it's not everlasting. Because the word says only the things that God do are the things that remain. Those are the things that are eternal, the things that are everlasting. So think about that. Because I'm on the last part of the churches, and these churches are about identifying ourselves, looking at ourselves. Which church am I? What kind of person am I in Christ? Am I the person that wants to stay in the world half the time and live Christ the other half? Am I the person that just has gotten so bored with God that I'm just completely indifferent to the things of him? It's been there. Some people have, you know, had a, had a, have bumped into Jesus, and then everything they ever heard about Christ has formed their belief. And they've never actually even walked out truly searching out who he is. He's very transparent. He will tell you a lot. Actually, he'll tell you everything. So who are we? Where am I? That's a good question, right? Who am I and where am I? <laughs> a lot of times we don't know who we are. I'm telling you. Um, but the moment you give it to God and you give it to God through Jesus, you can watch things change in your life. I'm the happiest I've ever been in my entire life. The happiest. I turned 28 today, praise God. I turned 28 today, and um, I have a, a full-fledged family. I got, I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm doing the work of the Lord constantly. I'm in the process of launching a business I've been launching for almost two years now. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's like I never would have thought life would have been like this. I always thought I had to be something because of something, but never because of truth. You know? Because somebody told me this is how you're supposed to be. I formed my life off of that. And it was never truth. And then I got a hold of God, or God truly got a hold of me, and my whole perspective changed. Now, there was good in those, in those times, in those seasons, where I walked in the wilderness or, you know, kind of left God or, you know, didn't allow God to lead my life. But ultimately, it never came to anything until me, until me meeting God, until me meeting Jesus, the, the real Jesus, the one that's alive, that pumps your heart, that drives you to do things. Because a lot of us have lost desires. We've lost passions. We lost encouragement. We don't want to do things because of the pain of failure. I failed many times at many things. I have. And I've succeeded a lot of times at a lot of things. But that doesn't make me. It helps form me. But who makes me is Jesus. And he is worthy of everything. Because if you would have saw me three years ago, oh, my gosh. I did an open house. Give a quick testimony. I did an open house for Lee, man, maybe two and a half years ago. 
I sent Lee this video. <laughs> Have you ever looked at yourself in a video and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. I sent this video, I was being very silly. I was being extremely silly, but I saw the ugly in me. And probably when I made that video, I thought I was being very funny. And it looked so bad to me. And I said, Lord, I thank you for change. Because it was terrible. I, I could feel the demonic, like the, the demon of, of distraction and the demon of just everything. It was ugly. And I wonder if she ever responded to that video. I don't think she did. I wonder if I ever sent the video. I don't know. I just ran across it. But it was ugly, man. But I thank God for change. It's not... Here's the thing. We don't have, okay, we do change because we're bad, because we're wicked, but we're not changing because we're bad and we're wicked. We're changing because we love God. So just because I was telling somebody before, just because every time you come in God's presence, you're crying, it doesn't mean you're bad. Every time you come in God's presence and you get delivered, it doesn't mean you're bad. It really means he loves you. He's greater than all those things. We think change is bad because if I had to change, there was something wrong with me. That's not necessarily true. You can change because that's not who you ever intended to be, and it doesn't mean you are a bad person. We'll get to the message eventually. All right, we was talking about the churches, and this is the last bit of it. It won't be long because um, it's very simple. I want to get to this point because next class we're going to start going through this booklet of teachings, um, and these teachings are awesome. So unless the Lord is, in, in, enlightens me or gives me a revelation about something, I'm going to share out of this booklet for teaching. Excuse me. All right, we're on Church 5, which is the dead church, and it's in Revelations 3, 1 through 6. Okay. I guess I'll give a little background real quick about these other churches. Church 1 was the loveless church. They lost their first love. So you know when you have that first encounter with God? And you're blissful, flowers, is flowers everywhere, colors, rainbows everywhere. You lose that. God asked them to repent for losing their first love and get back to the first work. Some of the first works that we engage in when first coming to Christ is getting up, like telling people about our experience with God. A lot of us have lost that. Saying, oh, man, this is what God did in my life. It, it's become kind of minuscule. It's, been, it's common now. Um, it's also leaving old or past things. Okay, so the things that God asks you, he instructs you to leave when you come to him and you don't do it or you, re or you return back to it. Okay. And the reward for overcoming persecution in that one is a tree of life, which is God. I'm not going to go over this. I'm just going to talk a little bit about it. But Jesus name, which is I, I love this because this is for the religious people, because um, when I say religious, I mean like those in captivity. Christ means, this is what Christ means. It means the anointed, consecrated one, which means holy. It also stands for with power or the all-powerful one, which means he, he created power and he ends the power. He, it's like there's nothing before him that has power and there's nothing after him that has power. It also means Messiah, which means Savior. And this is what Savior means. No, I'm sorry. This is what, <laughs> this is what Messiah means. And again, this is for the religious spirit. It means freedom or liberator of a group of people. He is free. People say you can't go out to the streets and pray for people, talk about Jesus without condemning somebody. 
That's a lie. You can go out and display love and freedom because Jesus is the liberator of a group of people. How, how many has been liberated in here? There, man, almost not the camera over to raise his hand. He's that free. Some of us got free. For real. They have the persecuted church. You're the persecuted church because you've been faithful to God and people around you don't know how to take you no more. So they talk about you. <laughs> There's a compromising church. The compromising church kind of fellowships with wrong ideals, doctrines. They mix and mingle the belief of Christ with their own worldly beliefs. The reward for repenting from that is you get innocence and absolution from guilt or sin. You get purity and cleansing. And then you have privilege before God and before men. And then you have exemption from the, the risk of losing your life. How many has ever feared that, oh, man, I, may, I might just die? The fear of death. This guarantees you when you don't live a, a, a double-sided or what's, what's it called? A, a double life? We'll get to it. So when you're living two lives, but you decide to repent and change, the fear of death comes off of you. And then it becomes the joy of death. Right? Because when you die, you get to go meet Christ because you live for him. The fourth was the corrupt church, which is the one we talked about last time. And I can't even go through this, but this is tight. Um, that church submits to the spirit of Jezebel. And this is who Jezebel is. Jezebel is a spirit that uses manipulation to influence or control people or to influence and control forms of authority. It despises authority, if not in position of authority. And here are some of the traits that we took out. It uses people to accomplish its own gain. It withholds information, it lies, it ignores people. It has a spirit of one-upmanship. I can't say something without you trying to tell me something greater that you've done yourself. It spiritualizes that, oh, it's just the Lord's work. Spiritualizes everything. It passes the blame on God. We can say it that way. It's, it's constantly insubordinate. Clairvoyant, meaning it knows things spiritually without the spirit of God, or what did we call it last time? A psychic. Uses the element of surprise. Like to just jump when you start asking you questions and you don't have no way to kind of defend yourself in a sense. And you feel like you have to answer it. Uh, Jezebel sows seeds of discord. It's always trying to divide and break people up or break things up. And it is vengeful. If you've done something, it is seeking revenge. And that can happen in many forms. So in that, when you're facing that, this is the corrupt church, meaning the corrupt church has been taught the wrong thing. I'm sorry. The corrupt church has allowed the wrong teaching to come in and be taught to its people. So have you allowed the wrong teaching to be taught in your soul? Have you allowed the wrong teaching to enter your soul? And it's caused you to think differently, opposed to God's word. And then the spirit of Jezebel starts to work because you want to control everything. What you have to do in that is hold fast, which means remain tightly secured and retain the works that you've done, the love that you've expressed. You have to keep the faith, which is uh, assurance and fidelity with God. You have to be consistent in that. 
And you have to remain in service to God's people. And this is your reward, which is so awesome. It gives you power over the nations. That word power in that scripture signifies authority. And authority means in a sense of ability, the ability to act legally or a privilege to act. It also means force, capacity, complacent, uh, competency, freedom, mastery, superhuman, token of control, delegated influence, jurisdiction, liberty, right, and strength. When you don't submit to Jezebel, here's another one of your, so God gives you power. He can't give you power if you're under the spirit of Jezebel because you're going to hand your power over to Jezebel. But here's the other, the other reward you get for not submitting to Jezebel. You get the morning star, which is Jesus Christ. But the morning star signifies the dawn of a new day. How many have you felt like you've been going through the same cycle? Over, the, gray is always, the sky is always gray when you wake up in the morning. Every time you're hitting, you're hitting another stumbling block, every time you take a, a new move towards something, you can't really break free. It's a dawn of a new life. It's a fresh look, a fresh outlook on life. It's the beginning of something fresh and new. And it's an opportunity for a life, for you to have a life untainted. It's an opportunity for you to have a life pure and full of purpose and full of God's power. So just a little quick little recap. I've been under the spirit of Jezebel before. And this is how it always happened. <laughs> it happened just like this all the time. I would do something that I would want to do as, as a husband, in a sense. And my wife wouldn't necessarily, this ain't my toy, it's definitely not a Jezebel. Um, she's my princess and I love her. But um, if I didn't do something that she liked, I was isolated constantly. I would just be ignored. That was one of the main things I hated. I hated being ignored. I can be ignored now, no problem, but I hated being ignored. She would just like, it was as if I didn't even exist. She would always oppose. She would, in a sense, question everything I talked about. The authenticity, authenticity of it. You don't know that. That can't be true. You're lying. That's how it is because when, what you see, as we start growing as men, God will give you stuff, and you necessarily may not know how to articulate it. And as you articulate it, a spirit of Jezebel will try to cut it down and say that, that can't be true. What are some of the other things? Anything to, regain, to keep power. She would do anything to keep power, or the spirit would. We would go grocery shopping. I'll never forget this a day in my life. She didn't, <laughs> the spirit didn't want me to put the groceries on a cold stove. You know, you get bags and you bring them in the kitchen. I'm like, the, the stove not on, so I could put, you know, we need to put it, you don't have enough counter space. If I didn't do that, knives got pulled on me. I was abused physically, verbally. I got beat up on. Really bad, it wasn't good. But that's how it would keep me timid. I did not want to, in a sense, assert authority because every time I did, I was getting abused. And then before you knew it, I was just, little, what's it called, the little hermits? Your boy was a hermit to her, like, whatever you say, babe. And she had me walking around like a little puppet or a little dog. That, that type of control. 
I couldn't do anything. And then I broke free. But you want to know I had to break free? I had to go through the most traumatic thing in my life. For real. That was how great my love was. I had already been cheated on multiple times, and I had forgiven multiple times. I'm talking about when somebody cheats, we're not talking about just she kissed another or hugged another person. Like she had full-fledged intimacy with another person. And I said, like, I got to love her out of it. And I didn't, even, I didn't know Jesus like that. I'm telling you, I just had, I had a quick encounter, and I tried to walk out life with him. Multiple times, I'm just going there. And um, what had to happen was the Lord had to allow her to get pregnant. And it wasn't that I didn't want to be with her because of that, but that was kind of like the last straw. It was the straw that broke the camel's back for me because um, I had given so much of me, the love that I had that I could contain. Because, you know, you can go through that in life. A person can overcome someone, uh, a, a mate being in, being in adultery and then even conceiving a child. You can, you can actually endure that. You can actually come through that through the love of God. I was not at that place, which was okay because God had uh, better in store for me. Um, but it had to get to that extreme. I had to really, I, there was no respect in the relationship. And men, just like, just to be honest, when, when, respect, when respect is not established in a household, and the respect has to be for God before anything else. When the wife respects God and the wife honors God, or when the woman honors God, she'll have no problem respecting and honoring you. But in a sense, you have to be in a place with God. You have to give her something to honor. You have to give her something to respect. Are you spending time with God? Is it visible? Is it, is it obvious to her? And even if it's not, does your love show that you are? Does your patience show that you are? But we have to overcome these things. And God is greater than all of that. But it had to get to that extreme for God to release me out of that because I never would have left that relationship because my love was being prostituted. It's being prostituted. And it wasn't that the person didn't deserve it. I just didn't know how to break free. I didn't know how to stand my ground. I, had, I was getting beat up by Jezebel constantly. And it was for life to be better, it would, it would, you must submit. And we can go all day with that. But all right, Revelations 3, 1 through 6. It's the fifth church. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to give the notes. And then I'm going to give you the revelation that I've been kind of lingering for a while. Because I think this is going to bless a lot of people. Here was my pen. The faithful church. No, the dead church. And to the angel of the church of Sardis, write. These things says he who has seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name. Okay, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names. Even Sardis, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. 
and will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. I'm just going to give you kind of my takeaways from this because this is awesome. You need to identify with this, but it's not the point I want to get to. And I really want to get to my point tonight. This is what they got praised for. This is what the dead church got praised for. Few in their assembly have remained in faith. So as we're identifying ourselves with this, what is the little thing? Because you're dead, right? One of us, some of us are dead in the church, right? What is the little thing that is holding your faith in God? What is the thing that is keeping you even in an assembly or with your belief with God? Okay? So their praise is that they have a little bit of faith. Here's their instruct. Okay, here is their issue. They're straight dead. There's no life in them. They're a corpse, but they, but they think they're alive, maybe because they're in church. We see that constantly. You go to church, don't mean you're alive in God. Okay, so that's, that's their issue. That's what God has against them. And these are the instructions. Hold fast, repent, and strengthen what remains. Hold fast. We talked about last time. I think I just went over that really quickly. Hold fast means to remain tightly secured or retain. Okay? So whatever faith you have in the moment in your soul or that's keeping you active in God in a sense, hold fast to that. Repent. We know what repent means. It means change your mind, change your thinking. And what are you changing your thinking on? The reason why you have a little bit of faith, the reason why you're dead. All right. And then the last one is strengthen. That word strengthen means set fast and to turn resolutely in a certain direction. So if we're dead, we need to turn resolutely to life. Okay. If you're having a lack of faith, you need to turn resolutely to faith. Or if you're in disbelief, you need to turn resolutely to belief. If you're in anger, you need to turn into joy. You need to do it. Essentially, you do opposite in the opposite direction. But what you're in right now, you need to do opposite of in, in, in God. Here's your reward for holding fast, repenting and strengthening what has remained. You get clothed in right garments. So the white garment represents righteousness, which is uh, symbolism for successful outcome of tried faith. And you become one of God's spotless brides. Okay, spotless bride means you have been washed. There are no wrinkles, what we say, uh, without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. So basically, God has purified you. You're in a place with God to where you're cleansing. He recognized that you have been changed. The third thing is, or the second thing is, your name is in the book of life. I don't know what scripture it is. Your name will be, your, your name will be in the book of life. It will not be removed out of the book of life for being dead. Basically, there are things in God that cause us to be alive. If we reject those things, our names are being pulled out of the book of life. Even though we have received God as Lord, even though we have received Jesus as Lord and Savior. 
And then the third thing is acknowledgement before God, who is Abba, which is Daddy, which is Father God, and then the angels. And I love this. I heard this some time back. If we talk about him, he talks about us. So if I'm not, if I'm going from death to life, I'm obviously probably talking a lot more about the things God is doing in my life and how I've changed. And then when God recognizes that, he's acknowledging, Jesus is acknowledging you before his dad and before the angels. And I look at it like this. God has all power to do everything. So if he's talking about you, it's probably a good thing. And what he's probably telling or talking about is how he's about to bless you. And then when he's, when he's talked about before, your, before the angels, those are ministers and those are uh, executor of God's word and will. So if your name is being mentioned to the angels, they're being sent out to do something for you. All right, let's go to the next church, which is the faithful church. This is the church that we need to be like. This is our example church, okay? And that's Revelations 3, 7 through 13. And this is the one where I, had, I think I had the aha when I first read it. Let me read it. And, he, and to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, write, these things says he who is holy, he who is true, who, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one's opens. I want y'all to hang on to that. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have little strength. For you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews, but are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet. And to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may make. No one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's a mouthful. All right. This is for the faithful church. This is what they were praised for. This is what God like bless them for or recognize them that was good. Keeping the word of Christ, not denying Jesus' name, and being able to do all this with little strength. So at that time, there obviously, there was persecution. So during persecution, they kept the word of Christ. They never backpedaled, never said it wasn't true, never went into disbelief. They did not deny Jesus' name when times got tough. Say, I don't know if he's going to do this or if he's real or how is he ever going to show up? Or even to the fact where people would probably challenge them. Where's your God or where's your Jesus now? They never denied Jesus' name. And in being persecuted, they, was, they were, became weary. They lost their strength. But they were able to persevere through all of that. The blessing about this church is that they had no issue according to God. They walked blameless, okay? Here's their instruction. Hold fast 
to perseverance. Hold fast to keeping the words of Jesus. We already talked about what hold fast means. And hold fast to not denying the name of Jesus Christ. Keep doing what you're doing. Okay, so who always feel like they've, got, they've gotten transformed, right? I feel like I've been transformed and there's some things that are just coming against me, but I'm, I'm sticking with God. I'm sticking with God. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not budging, right? This is, this is your reward. And it's five of these. You have protection and you're kept in God's safety in the hour of trial. Now, specifically about this, this scripture, I believe they're talking about the end times trial where all the world is going, all the whole world is going to be judged uh, based on their lack of faith in Christ. But in that time, you're going to be kept safe. Okay? The second is you'll become a pillar in the temple of God. Okay, let me go back. What is pro- protection and kept in God's safety? Can y'all, can y'all, if we just moved our mind to the hour of trial now, in our life now, when hard times come upon us, where we're being persecuted or things may not be going our way, what is God's protection and how does he keep us in his safety? His presence. This is what he's given them. He's given them his presence, his person in the time of trial. Okay? Become a pillar in the temple of God. That word pillar. Okay, so let's let's go there again. The pillar, so there, I want to say this right and I want to get ahead of myself. You'll become a pillar. What does a pillar do in a building? Huh? It holds up, right? So it's structure, it's uh, it supports, right? So you'll become a pillar in God's house. So we look at it in this sense. If you don't budge, God's going to promote you. He's going to allow you to stay. Also in that time, um, it was familiar for a person to be recognized, a, a good citizen, to have their name written on a pillar and like a prestigious building. So look at it like this. So in God's kingdom, you're appealing, your name, you're, you're appealing, your name is on that pillar. So you're being recognized before all the people. Okay. Also, let's look at it like this. The temple is, is heaven. Okay. Heaven does, heaven's not in a building. Okay. So you'll become a pillar in heaven. And this is what the pillar means. You will have permanence, which means you'll be permanent in God's presence. When you become a pillar, something that structurally sits in a place for what? Support. So you become or you will have permanence in God's presence. You will have permanence in heaven. Also, it means you will stay in his presence continually when you become a pillar. All right. I want you guys to kind of think about this because this is the point I'm about to make in just a second. The third is the name of God will be written on you. That signifies that we belong to him. That also means in the word it says God can be ashamed to call you his son. He said he can be ashamed to call you one of his believers. It's in there. It doesn't necessarily say it that way, but. Basically, it says that um, don't make it where God is ashamed to call you his son. 
or a believer. When somebody takes, if God takes ownership, what are some thoughts that you can have about what your life is going to be? Yeah, essentially, your life is going to be great. It's going to be excellent. When God marks you as his, okay? Also, the name of the city of my God will be on you. This is when we have established our citizenship in heaven. We have established our citizenship in heaven. Okay? I'm a citizen of the United States. So if you go through the records, I can be acknowledged as a citizen of the United States. It is recorded that you are a citizen of heaven. And Jesus's or Jesus' new name will be written on us. This is one of our rewards. We will identify with everything that Jesus represents. And we will share in the glory that will be revealed in him. And in the scripture, it also talks about there's a name that he hasn't even been given yet that we're going to receive. That's what it actually says. There's a name that he has been given that we haven't, that he hasn't been given yet that we will receive. All right. I'm going to skip. I want to go to Revelations 4. This is your reward for being faithful. This is your reward for being faithful. We talk about third heaven experiences in here all the time, right? We talk about how people go to heaven. We talk about how people have these, uh, these revelations of God and leaving this place. Let's go to Revelations 4. And I want you to remember in the very beginning of Revelations 3, 7 through 13, it talks about him opening a door that no one can shut. So opening and no one can close it. And he's the only one that can close it. This is Revelations 4. After this, so this is after the last church. And the person that wrote Revelations was John. Okay, he was on the island of Patmos and then he received Revelation. So he entered into heaven and he had visions. After this, I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like emerald and circled the throne, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion, and the second was like an ox, the third was like the face of a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who, had, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, 
You are worthy, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they are created. They were created, and they have their being. That's all the revelations for, right? I hope you guys caught that. Because in the time of trial, because let's, let's go back to the background. John was in a time of persecution where Christians were just getting murked off. And I think because he was a believer, they put him on the island of Patmos. He got exiled to it, right? So as he got exiled, he probably got exiled for being faithful to God's truth. Everything that was lined out in the faithful church. The moment he got there, he received revelation. And God opened the door to heaven to him for being faithful. That's what it said. He said he looked and behold, there was a door that was open. This was in the midst of already hearing from God on the island. But because he was faithful, God allowed him to enter heaven. So like I said, we all hear about these third heaven experiences, right? Where people are lifted, their entire bodies are just their spirit or just their souls or all these different things. If you want to go to a place you've never been before, if you want to overcome and not just be a hearer of all these things that take place in God, but actually experience it, I'm just going to say that Revelation says that you, should, you must remain faithful and that God must find you blameless because he had nothing against them. Who all wants to see heaven? Let's just be honest. I want to see heaven. I mean, like, I want to go to heaven, and I want to have a conversation like John did. Why wouldn't you? And it doesn't, John didn't die in that moment, just so you know, because, you know, people have those things where they die and they go to heaven. God literally just took him because he was faithful to what God told him, hold on, showed him, and what he did. That was the great epiphany I got. How do, I get to, how do I get to experience heaven? How do I live continuously in the third heaven experience? How do I live continuously in God's presence? That's, those are the words. How do, how do I? How do I get God's name written on me? How do I receive the same name that has not even been spoken over Jesus? How do I do these things? How do I just remain in God's protection? And in God's safety, how do I become a pillar? How do I be established in God's kingdom, in, in heaven? How, how do I become established in heaven where they know my name? They walk by it every day. You got to remain faithful. You have to. And faithfulness is not just in action. It's in thought and it's in word as well. So we can't one day think this way. And that person, the, word, the Lord says that he can't even ask anything from God. He can't. He's double-minded. And he's tossed to him for like in the sea. We have to remain faithful to what we believe. So if, God, if, if the word of God says something that God reveals to you, you can't pedal back and forth. One day I want to believe it when it feels good, but then when I start going through that fiery trial, I throw it right out the window. And then in our words... We can't say, we just can't say anything anymore. Cuss words, I'm big on this. Cuss words, you know, what, you know what curse means? The word curse means absent of life. 
So every time you speak a cuss word, you're inviting absence of life to your life. You know what an absence of life is? Death. And cuss words don't always have to be the S word, the N word, the F word. Cuss word can be anything that's not edifying to a hearer. So if you having a hard time with your mouth, let your reward be that God's going to bless me with his presence when I watch what I say. Because sometimes we can say mean things without really wanting to say them. And then we still have to reap what we have sown. And then your actions. Now, don't let your mouth, don't think one thing, say the same thing that matches up with what you think, and then do something completely opposite. Don't say that I'm changed and then ain't nothing about you changed. Don't say I don't do this no more and the next moment you're out there doing it. I mean, like, you can even say, like, essentially, I spend 30 minutes in the Word every day. And then you don't. That's a lie. It is. You can't say that. I'm not saying you, you probably can spend like 30 minutes, but if your intent is to deceive, it's wrong. Is it his intent to boast yourself and, you know, make a point about how you've changed, but you really don't do that? You're off. Your actions must match with the, the word that God has given you and the thoughts that God has given you. So we can't be talking about, man, the Lord delivered me from anger and you lashing out on people. You cussing folks out. You, people do it. But by any means, I want you to know this, though. What's actually transpiring in those moments aren't you. It's the spirit inside you trying to be released. So the moment the Lord releases you to say, I've delivered you from this, you know you've been delivered, right? But there's an influence that comes to you to cause you to do these things. It speaks to you. It influences you. I've been there. I... I tell you, Lord, delivered me from a lot of stuff. My biggest testimony, I was telling this time earlier, is sexual immorality. So I got delivered from talking about sexual morality, but I necessarily didn't act that way. And I necessarily got, uh, the last thing I got delivered was actually the thoughts of sexual immorality. So I stopped talking recklessly, sexually. That's actually called... Um, I think it's a D word, where you're just out in the open about sexual stuff. That's a sin, actually. Um, but the Lord delivered me from that, but I wasn't completely delivered from actions. You see what I'm saying? Like, groping Tory the wrong way before we were married. Stuff like that. She used to get on me all the time. I'd be wanting to run and put my hand on her butt. She'd be like, boy, don't do that. You ain't my husband yet. And uh, that's sexual morality. Um. So I would, I would, in a sense, I could talk about being delivered, but I wasn't completely delivered. In the intent, now don't get me wrong, my heart was really right, but behind closed doors, I was trying to grow from her. You see what I'm saying? There's levels of deliverance. And because we have to be delivered, does, again, it doesn't mean we're bad. It doesn't mean we're bad. Okay? So when I, when I identify these things, what you must do is not identify with them. Because it's never, it never was you. It's an influence influencing you to do things that you were never created to do. Okay? So allow your, the words that God gives you, which is his thoughts, to match up with your words, what you say, 
And allow what you say to match up with your, match up with your uh, actions. Yeah, I was thinking. I want to say this the right way because I don't want anybody to feel condemnation. Just because God shines a light on something or allows something to be made revealed to you, again, it doesn't mean you're bad. And it actually means that he loves you. Who all would really want God's protection? And I'm going to tell you, one of the main places we need God's protection is in our mind, in our soul. So every time we receive a thought from Satan, right? You know what thoughts of Satan are? Anger, unforgiveness, shame, rejection, love of money, sex for approval, all these different thoughts that come. God, once you, once you remain faithful to what he has shown you, he'll protect you from those thoughts. That doesn't mean they won't come, but they can't enter in. And this is how you know thoughts enter in. You meditate on them. It becomes a motion picture in your soul. And before you know it, you've actually exited your body. Actually, yeah, you've actually exited your body and entered into your own soul. And you're watching these things play out. And before you know it, you've created this whole story that was based off of a lie. And there's no truth in it. Those are not your thoughts. God says, these are the thoughts that I have for you. Thoughts are good to prosper you. So if the thoughts aren't good and they don't prosper you, they're not from God. That's simple. Is everybody with me? Anything that brings pain, and I'm not talking about the good pain when you know something is changing on the inside of you, but a, a reoccurring memory that hurts, um, a pain that is driven by voices constantly telling you things about yourself, that is not God. God is a loving God. God is very gentle. I want you to know that. And when he talks to us, he talks to us with a loving voice. Okay? You have two kinds of loving voices. You have those that are soft and gentle, the soft, still voice. And then you have the loving voice that is a voice of authority that wants you to change. And if he doesn't speak to you in that way, you won't change. Now, there's another voice called a condemning voice. And that condemning voice says you haven't been changed from this. You'll never overcome this. And you're, you're thinking it's your own thoughts, and it's not. You just associate with them because you've experienced it for so long. How many people here have suffered, have suffered with depression? I used to sleep my life away. After my, my ex, all that stuff came, I would, I would go to school, come home and sleep for four or five hours, go play, play basketball, eat, and then go to sleep for the rest of the night. I literally slept my whole life away. I don't, remember, I don't even remember those years. It happened just like that because I slept it away. Depression is a spirit that tries to tear you down to the point of death where you just want to take your own life. Or you have a, a suicide spirit or these two things. You want to take your own life or you have a reckless abandon for your own life where you just don't care. I'll die. Those type, that's a suicide spirit. That is not from God. And the condemning voice, the voice of the enemy says, it's your fault that she cheated on you. It's your fault that you're in, in the place that you are now. You'll never come out of this lack of money. I can't do anything right. I've heard that. Who's heard that? I can't do anything right. 
Every time I turn around, I'm getting just smacked in the face. That's a liar. And I love this because God makes it so simple. The Lord said that the devil is a liar. He's the father of lies and there's no truth in him. He can't tell the truth, right? So if God's voice is all about love, goodness, prosperity for your life, not, I'm not talking about these bogus imaginations. I'm talking about God speaking to you saying that this is what I have planned for you. Anything that's opposite of that is the voice of the enemy. And if it's the voice of the enemy, it's a lie. The moment you can identify who's speaking with you, you can move. No problem. The moment you can say, okay, God, this, this lines up with your word, I'm moving with that. Or you can say, this goes against your word, I'm rejecting that. You don't even take the thought. How many, how many have spent a lot of time with God in the word? And then you got tested on that word, and immediately when the trial came, the, the word stood up like a standard. And it was just like a blink, like, I can't believe he even tried that. He knew I had that word in me. But that's what he does. The word that God puts the, allows the word to come up like a standard. And nothing can get past it. All right, let's go to the last church. That was my revelation. You got to be faithful to go to heaven. And I'm not, you know, it's like a play on words. You got to be faithful to go to heaven. But to actually go to heaven without dying, to have a third heaven experience, you got to remain faithful in all things. The last church, which is the lukewarm church, we talked about this church before, um, but I never broke it down like this, and this won't take long. Let's go to Revelations 3, 8, no, 3, 14 to 22. I need water. Yeah, you get some. I already told Tori this Revelation like three weeks ago. Wasn't that cool? Did y'all think that was cool? No? Oh, shucks. Shucks, no one got it. All right, to the angel of the church of Laodicea. Laodicea, right. These are the words of the amen. This is where I kind of got because I like that God is amen. The faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say that I am rich and have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so you become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom, who I, those whom I love... I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the spirit says to the church. This is so much in that. But I'm just going to point out a few of these things. The lukewarm church, if you're the person, again, one day you want to live for God and the next day you don't or you're just kind of in between on the fence. God spits you out his mouth. I know that sounds kind of silly, but there's there's nothing graceful or nothing in a sense that makes you tasteful to him. This church received no praise from God. He identified nothing good with them. 
And this is what their issue was. Their works of God were neither cold nor hot, meaning they were indifferent about the things of God. How many times have we got? I, I, I became indifferent about worship and meditating on the word before. I've also been indifferent about praying for the sick and miracles, all those different things. I became lukewarm in those areas. I really, you know, I wasn't really moved by it and I wasn't really, you know, I liked them though, but I was kind of in between. This was also one of the issues. They believe that they have it all together. Oh my goodness. It's a picture show. They think they have it all together. Self-righteousness. And that has caused complacency. They correlated that with money. Because they had money, they didn't need God. Here's their instruction. Be zealous. <laughs> this is what zealous means. Have warmth of feeling for or against something. That means you have zealousness when you have the warm and fuzzies on the inside about something. When you hear something, you kind of get, oh, that, that kind of feels good. You grow passionate again. Passionate again. That's what it means to be zealous. You grow passionate again. And you have desires when you're zealous. You have desires. We know what repent means. This is the other instruction. Repent, which means to think differently. So maybe I should get excited about miracles. Maybe I should get excited about praying for people. Maybe I should get excited for, for worship and praise. There's something in that. And this is, this is their reward, and we're finishing with this. A deeper relationship that moves you to move. It's a special invitation, a special communion with God. And then you have the ability to sit on the throne with Jesus. And this is what it means. To sit means to dwell in or is to be appointed with and in the power or the same power as Jesus. Now, we're not Jesus, but because God, because he received, he gives. He puts you in a place of authority, in a place of dominion to exercise that power. Those are your rewards. If you're lukewarm, if you're lukewarm, be zealous again. Allow yourself to get the warm, fuzzy feelings about the things of God again. I remember when I first used to start hearing tongues. I used to get that little buzz, like, dang, what's going on in this house? You know, it was just like that. And then I wanted tongues. I desired it. Grow passion again. Ask God to increase your passion. And then ask God to reveal desires to you. And think differently about the things of God. Start saying they're exciting. The things of God are exciting. They're awesome. And the reward is a deeper relationship that moves you to move. It's a special invitation and communion with God. Praise God. I know I got more excited about my revelation than you guys got, but <laughs> I was pretty cool. But anybody have any questions? Yeah. 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 Anytime two people marry, they are different as supposed to be water. 
everything you can to cultivate a true union. Have y'all cultivated a union? That's what I want to get out. He's teaching me. <laughs> <laughs>